You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins and goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence. The lampstand, also for the light, with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. 
and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Let's pray before we dig into that text. God, thanks. Uh, thanks for the time that we get to spend together now reading and discussing your word. God, I pray that you would help us um, to see more of your character, to see more of how good you are through this text today. God, I pray that you'd be with me. I pray that you would be with all of us as we listen. I pray uh, that the helpful things that I can say would be remembered and useful and might encourage us to repentance or faith, but I pray that unhelpful things I say would quickly be forgotten by all of us here. I pray you'd be with us over the next minutes as we look into this. pray these things in your name. Amen. Let me just, uh, I'll record this on my phone, yeah, Louis? Yeah, it'd be great. Thank you. <clears throat> We're podcasting later. Got it on. Cool. Well, church, it's, um, that's a long read, but it could have been much longer. We could have read the chapters in the middle. I would encourage you to do that um, in your own time. Um, but it's super exciting. This is the last week of Exodus. We've just read the, the um, last verses, the last chapters of Exodus. And we've been in Exodus for 18 weeks. That's a significant amount of time that we've spent um, kind of considering and reading and learning from this book. Um, and I want to give us time today and I want to set up time for us to consider that. What have we learned? What have we thought through this book of Exodus? Um, just like Louis mentioned, next week we, we, we're going to kind of reflect on the church's goals. Uh, in January at the start of the year, uh, Louis articulated three goals for us as a church. Um, Louis also articulated three goals for the book of Exodus. There's a bit of a theme here. We always have three goals. <laughs> it's obviously the right number. <laughs> um, and so what those goals were, uh, I want to read those and for us to be reflecting and thinking on those through this time together, and I'm going to give us some time at the end to then kind of actively all consider and participate in how we've gone against them. But the goals were, the first one was that your love for the book of Exodus would be 10% of what Louis is. Now, I'm just going to reword that goal. I think (laughs) Louis was just a little bit excited with that goal. (laughs) But So let's reword the goal to be that we would have a new appreciation and love for the book of Exodus. And we can also be perhaps 100 or 110% as excited as Louis was, he is about the book. As a first goal, that we would get a new appreciation and love for the book of Exodus. The second is that we would see Exodus as an amazing lesson in the character of God. That we would, the second goal, that we would see it as an amazing lesson in the character of God. And the third goal was that we would see on every page of this book that we would see signposts Jesus. There are three goals that we articulated 18 weeks ago, and we've tried to track track to those goals as we've kind of looked at the text each time. And so throughout the service, as I'm talking throughout the sermon, I'd love for you to be thinking and reflecting about these goals. Um, 
and personally how and if you've tracked to those. Um, I think it's, you know, investing 18 weeks as a church in a book, it's a significant amount of time. It's enough time to kind of set up. It's like a project, right? At the start, you go, what do we want to achieve? At the end, we're now, we want to have some time to go, well, did we achieve those things? How do we go? What did we learn? Um, what, what What's changed for us through this? And I, I want us to have time to do that today. And so the discussion today has two sections. I want to look at the text today. And the big theme for the text is the tabernacle. Um, we see we're all, we've been all been, been all about the tabernacle today. And I want to follow the thread of the tabernacle from here, from Exodus, throughout the book of the Bible. This is where the tabernacle is built for the first time, but it's a really consistent theme that goes right through to Revelation. So I kind of want to unpack that and follow the bouncing ball, follow the thread of the tabernacle today. Um, and then after that, I want to ask us, in line with those goals that we've just asked, for the whole book of Exodus, what stood out to you? I want to create, and I, I want us really, we're like a massive gospel community. Um, I, perhaps all of our gospel communities are going to be on Zoom for the next couple of weeks now, I'd imagine. And often in our gospel communities, what we do is we will read a text together and your leader the person leading the gospel community, there's many ways to do it, but often a question that will be asked after reading the, t- the text is, is what stood out to you? And I want to ask us all that today. Um, what stood out to you in the book of Exodus? You might answer that. Sometimes you might answer that with a question. Sometimes you might answer it with, you know, something that you've learned about the character of God. Um, you might answer that. Really, it's an open question to go, you know, in this text, what stood out to you? And I, I want to create a big gospel community moment. And I don't have any notes for that section. So I'm hoping that you guys will help me uh, help talk and encourage each other in that. But so today um, in, in the text we'll see, and, and throughout the book of Exodus, really, we've seen how God does the work. We've seen it's God who draws them out out of Egypt. He rescues them from from a physical land of slavery. Then after he saved them, he calls them to respond. He calls them to act off the back of this. And the way that we see that he's asked them to respond today is in building this tabernacle. God creates a way for the people to to see, to relate to, to learn from him in in the tabernacle. And he doesn't just create a way for them to do that. He asks his people to participate in putting it together. And after they respond, after the people do what he asks, then God comes and he dwells. The very last kind of four or five verses, God shows up and he dwells with the people in a new way. Their response, it allows God to transform the way that he interacts and he lives with them. Last week when we looked at Moses, um, Moses responded to God by praying. He prayed, show me your glory. Um, and Louis encouraged us to respond and pray and share a personal story about a time where he had done that. This week, the people responded by doing the work. Um, and just as the people responded to God, God calls us to respond to him and the work that he's done for us too. God has also set up a way in Jesus um, to, to rescue us from our spiritual, from, from sin and set us free spiritually, just like he set the Israelites free physically. And he asks us to respond. 
And maybe us kind of responding in this big gospel community moment at the end is also a little metaphor for how we we, we get an opportunity to respond in, to respond to to the text that we're reading today. But so let's get stuck into this text, the first section, the text. So it's helpful, I think, to have a little bit of a recap. How do we get here? Um, and what's happened in the chapters leading up to this? We saw actually. There's five chapters here of how the people are actually building the tabernacle. God gave these instructions quite a number of chapters ago. Um, there, there was quite a lot of detail in the instructions that God gave the Israelites to build the tabernacle. But since then, we've had a detour of disobedience. God gave all of these instructions in sort of from chapter 20 onwards, chapter 20 to about chapter 28 or 29, God gave all of these instructions, the tabernacle was in there. But we've had a detour of disobedience. The people said, yeah, we'll do what you want, God, and they do for about a month. And then we have the golden calf um, that we've, we've looked at recently. And there's pretty severe consequences for that. Many people died. Um, it wasn't a pleasant time where they didn't listen to, to God. God gave instructions. They said that they would do it, and they didn't do it. And we've seen just in the chapters leading up to here, God really gives the instructions. God um, rewrites the law. Moses goes back up to the mountain. Moses carves out the tablet, and, and, and God re-gives instructions to Israel after they've messed up royally. They've royally messed up and not listened to God. Why does God do this? God really recently has gone through this process of reaffirming the covenant that he has with Israel. He's gone through this almost this like recommitment process with the people of Israel where God told them to do something. They didn't do it. God's retelling them to do it again. And this time we see they actually do it. They go and build the tabernacle. And I think that's a really, I think just thinking that through that God would kind of go through that process that he would re-give instructions, he would kind of recommit to his people. I feel like that was that's such a helpful thing for the people of Israel that God would act in that way. Um, you can imagine in that process, you would be the Israelites, you'd like, right, we've come all the way out here. Um, God, you've set us up, you've saved us, but we built the calf and now Moses is out there, we're all dying. Um, that's it, we've screwed it up. Moses even goes and says, and in the in the lead up to this text, is the Jesus figure, and he goes, God, forgive them, please. And if you want, then just take it out on me, blot me out. He really points us to Jesus recently. But God doesn't do that. God reaches back down and he, re, he, he goes, no, this is what I want you to do, and he tells them again. And the people get to recommit. They get to buy back in. God is the God of second chances for these people. The people get to realise how good he is. It reminds me of, you know, the, the story of uh, Peter denying Jesus in the New Testament. When Peter denied, you know, Jesus was arrested and people asked Peter if they knew who Jesus was. Um, Peter three times said that he didn't know who Jesus was and that shattered Peter. But after Jesus rises again, Peter asks him three times. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And in that process, Peter's, Peter is restored. He gets to recommit three times. He gets to reverse what he's done in that denial. And Jesus does that on purpose. Peter has already 
forgiven for that. But Jesus knows that that's what Peter needs. I feel like we've seen that process, God acting in a similar way in the lead up to this text. Sorry, that's a long recap. But now the people here, they're actually doing what God asks. And what does he ask them to do here? He asks them to build a tabernacle. And I want to follow this thread of tabernacle through the Bible. And there's four tabernacles I want to talk about. And this is the first one. This is the, if you're a note taker, the the heading here is Tabernacle 1.0. This is the first tabernacle that God puts out there. Um, And what is it all about? There's so much detail, which we didn't even read. It might have felt like we were reading that detail a lot. Today we skipped four big chapters of detail. Last time that we looked when God gave the instructions, Louis prepared a table to outline all of the different details in the tabernacle. And a number of them are so significant. There's so much kind of richness and tapestry in there that points us to things to come. But it really, it's a bit bewildering. When we looked at this, we talked about how it's bewildering. Is this confusing to us today, this massive list of items? But it's also beautiful. Um, It's bewildering, but it's beautiful. When people walk past this tabernacle, the people would see it and they go, something special happens in there. You can imagine the the amount of gold and silver and bronze and fancy fancy material and things that went into it. When that tent is set up in the middle of the Israelite camp or where it was in the Israelite camp, when people walk past, either Israelites or non-Israelites, they go, something special goes on there. That's the place where the king lives. That's a special place. Like um, if you think about a town in the you know ancient Near East, the palace that the king lived compared to where everyone else lived, it was a different place. Israel didn't have a physical king. God was their king, and this was the tent that he, he lived in. It was a royal tent. And there's lots of symbolism in there. Um, it's, you know, the beginning of the restoration. There's links to the garden. There's links to God's throne room, there's links to God's mercy. It's really cool how in the tabernacle there's also food at the start of it, food at the entrance to it. There's a table, there's bread. It's like it's where God lives. It's like it's his house and he's saying that I live, I'm living with you. Come and dwell and have fellowship with me. It's a physical reminder for people that this is God is here and he's with his people. And it was also the way the tabernacle 1.0 people could approach God, that they could relate to God and they could maintain their relationship with God. God created a way for the people to interact with him. There's kind of a, a set of very specific rules and instructions for how this was to be built. And there's also specific rules and instructions for how the people were to relate to God. But not everyone could go there all the time. Not everyone could even get into the outer court. And and. Not many people at all, really, the only back of the tabernacle where God lives. And what does, in thinking about the tabernacle 1.0, this awesome, bewildering and beautiful way that God set up, that God would kind of live with his people. I think it's really cool to look at what God wants from his people in this. He wanted his people to be involved in the process, to respond and to do work. 
we see in the chapter 20 in chapter 35 that we read that God equipped the people to do the work you know there's the name as Andre did when I stumbled over them <laughs> um, but God had people he didn't give them a job that they couldn't do there was people that God placed and he his spirit moved in those people um, and equipped them to do the work he also moved the people to give like there was this free will offering that the people said hey come God said come and give the things give, give so that tabernacle can be built we didn't read it but in verse in in chapter 36 um, verse 5 they were giving too much stuff God God said hey that's enough we've got enough we can build everything that we need God gave them the people to do the work and he also stirred in their heart to give to build towards this tabernacle he didn't give them a task that no one knew how to do and he let people have the opportunity to participate in doing it they gave and they worked they responded they did what God asks and when the people responded in that way then then God comes down God comes and he dwells with the people it's really cool. I think it's awesome how the last bit of Exodus, people have followed these meticulous instructions and then it says, you know, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses, who'd been talking to God in a number of ways, he couldn't go in. So no, I can't go in there. Like, yeah, the, the God came. The people responded and people's response allowed God to come and live in that tent. So does that mean, though, does it mean that people in this process, did they work for their salvation here? Was it because the people did some work that they were saved? No. God had already saved the people. God had already brought them up out of Egypt. Now here, though, God wants to show them more of who he is. He wants to create a way for them to interact with him and approach him on an ongoing basis. It's awesome to see the character of God and how he does that. Mm. But it was in a tent and it was in a cloud and it was in a way that most people couldn't really approach. It was a pointer to a better way. To the tabernacle, it sounds a bit sacrilegious, but the tabernacle (laughs) 2.0, the next tabernacle is Jesus. Jesus is the better tabernacle. And so instead of God being a tent and a cloud and a pillar of fire and these things that kind of were there and represented all of this, Jesus is now God with us. I want to read from John chapter 1, verse 14. In each of these, these next tabernacles, I'm going to use a fair bit of other, a few other verses. I'll try and say what they are, but if you're interested in kind of for notes, I can send them through later, but hopefully I can make it clear enough where I'm going. But John chapter 1, verse from verse 14, says, And the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt. That same word dwelt is tabernacle. Tabernacle and dwelt is the same word. The word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'll skip a bit. And for, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Church, this changes 
how we relate to God. God didn't live in a tent or a temple anymore. God became a man. The God-man came. He doesn't live far off. He's not this kind of unapproachable thing. God comes and he, he enters right down into our world in a way that we can see as a person that we can relate to. We get to watch how he interacts with other people. We get to see him when he's hungry and stressed and tired and see how he responds. And he came. He didn't just come and live as the God-man far off. He was in our mess. He lived the perfect life. He fulfilled all of the, the rules and the, um, the way that God had articulated the people that he wanted people to live to approach him. He fulfilled all of that. He lived the life that we can't live, the perfect life. And he died as the sacrifice for sin. He died as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And he didn't just die. He rose again. He defeated sin and death. Previously, in the Tabernacle 1.0, they preached God, they approached God through the old tabernacle, but it was always a pointer to a better way. It was a pointer to a way where the God-man would come and he would live and die as the sacrifice for sin, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. I think Hebrews chapter 10 talks about it so well about how Jesus changes how we can, we can approach God. Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's so much, the Tabernacle 1.0 gives us so much significance for what's going on in these verses. We can have confidence to enter the holy place. That's the back room of the Tabernacle through the curtain that kind of shielded that off, that, chain, that kind of made, was the place that no one else could go. Through Jesus' death, we can approach God through, through Jesus' death and his defeat of sin and death. And so the, my, the question here is for, that I'd like to pose to us is how will we respond to this? For the, in the passage that we read in Exodus 35 through 40, God put it out there. He said, this is how I'd like you to live. These are the things that I'd like you to do. Um, how did the people respond? Initially, they said that they'd do something and they didn't. Then that they did do it and God came and dwelled. In the Tabernacle 2.0, God asks us to respond as well. God set up this way of interacting with him, but then how will we respond? In Romans 10, God asks, God says to us, because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. God asks that that's our initial response to seeing Jesus for Jesus creating this way to interact with God. Outlining and confessing that, hey, yeah, gee, God, that's so good you are. It's about understanding the, the work that he has done as the sacrifice for our sin, understanding that we are sinful and that we can't approach God. And, and it's through him that we can come and approach God. The, 
that's our initial response. The ongoing response to Jesus is the same. It's the same over and over and over again. It's confessing that he is is Lord and believing in a heart that God raised from the dead. He becomes Lord of our life. Instead of being a slave to sin, like the, the Israelites were in Egypt, this sets us free from bondage. It sets us free to be able to go and love and serve him and be his witness to other people. And it's, it's in this process, it's not us saving ourselves, just like it wasn't the Israelites saving themselves. God does all of the work of saving. It's all done through Jesus. We've done nothing. We, it's not anything about how good we are that does the saving. It's not anything great about the Israelites that God came and pulled them up out of Egypt. The people responded in the tabernacle 1.0. They did what God asked and he came and dwelt. And when we respond, when we confess Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, God comes and dwells in us. The tabernacle 3.0, it's us. How cool is that? It's then a cloud and all these kind of abstract images. The tabernacle 2.0 is Jesus. Jesus changes the way that we can relate to God. The tabernacle 3.0, the next kind of thread of this bouncing ball through the Bible is us. John chapter 14, um, Jesus, this is Jesus talking from verse 15. It says, if, this is Jesus again, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Is saying here, when Jesus goes and ascends to heaven, a helper will come. He's currently with you, but he will be in you. And we see that happen in Acts chapter 22, where the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, sorry, where the Spirit comes down. The disciples have responded to Jesus and the Spirit comes and he dwells in the disciples. And the same thing happens to us today when we respond to Jesus. How cool is that? How amazing is it that God would come and that he would live in, live in us. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. God doesn't live in a physical tent that few of us can approach. People back then in the Tabernacle 1.0, they would be changed by looking at the outside, by looking at how royal it was, by going, wow, something special must go on in there. They could physically approach God in the way that he outlined, and that did change people from the outside in. But that was a pointer to another way. We can now be changed from the inside out. God now comes and he lives in us. Um, He prompts us. He prays for us on our behalf, as we talked about just before, and he's transforming us to be more and more like him. The ongoing response to this as we respond is the fruit of the spirit. In our lives, we get to see how God's spirit works out in love, joy, peace, patience, perseverance. 
And seeing how the tabernacle, seeing the tabernacle 1.0 and the detail in it, I would really encourage you guys to read those five chapters. It adds such a richness to all of this when we can kind of follow that thread and we think about God's spirit living inside us, living in us, when we can see that kind of track right the way through. But there is another tabernacle, tabernacle 4.0. In that verse from Ephesians that we read, the last part of it talks about the spirit as a seal and an inheritance. What's that about? I'll just read it again. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. One day, Jesus is coming again. And the tabernacle 4.0 is coming. <laughs> Revelation 21, when Jesus comes back. Revelation 21 from verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The Holy Spirit in us, when Jesus comes back, that's where he's taking those with his spirit into his throne, into his, the, the final tabernacle where there is no more crying or death or pain. I want to be there. And I guess the key message here in following this thread of the tabernacle right through from Exodus to Revelation is that God dwells with us here and now and we will dwell with him in the tabernacle. And it's so much more amazing that he does this as he's the God of second chances. He allows people a fresh start. We've seen all throughout the book of Exodus how God is the God of fresh starts. Of second chances. We see it, we've seen it, and we talked about it for the people in this text. The people had just built a golden calf and they, they held it up and they said, after everything that God had done for them, look, look, Israel, the God that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. There's consequences for that, but God retells them what to do. They do it, and He still comes and dwells with his people. Something we see through the whole book, this idea that God gives people lots of, you know, second chances. Moses, the guy who leads the people physically, he killed a guy in Egypt and he had to run away. But while he's out in the desert where he's run away, God comes and meets him in a burning bush and says, hey, Moses, I've got something for you to do. And he uses Moses, even though he's, you know, he's committed murder to free the people. 
we see in through through Exodus, and the way that God does that is amazing. He uses all of the amazing plagues. We get to see so much of God's power roll out. The Israelites on their way out, they get to the sea and they're stuck, and they feel like they're going to get smashed. The, the, the Egyptian army is going to crush them. God opens the sea. Away they go. <laughs> but when they get on the other side, those same people that have seen all of that, they get hungry and they complain and they say, at least in Egypt we had meat and onions. It was so much better there. Why would you bring us out here to die? How ridiculous. But God doesn't wipe them out. In that moment, I reckon if that was me, I'd be like, done. I'm done with you lot. Look what I've just done for you and you want a bit of meat so you want to go back. Instead of doing that, God sends them bread every morning and quail every evening. God provides. He meets the people where they're at. A bit later, God comes onto a mountain. He sets it on fire. Everyone hears trumpets blast. God is there. God outlines how they live. They say, we'll do it. Only a month later, though, they hold up that golden calf and they praise that golden calf for rescuing them. Only a couple of weeks later. But we see that God comes down again to the people and he meets them where they're at. He restores their relationship. And church, maybe it's like that for us. We've seen in Exodus how God rescues people from physical slavery and he gives people second chances. He gives people as many a chance and chance after chance after chance. We see such a physical representation of people not being deserved, not being able to be saved. But God also offers to rescue us from our spiritual slavery. He invites us to live where we're free from the bondage of sin. We're free to love and to serve him with all that we have. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how far gone we think that we are. God is the God of second chances. Have we responded to God in the same way? Have we done what he asked? Have we responded to Jesus? Have we looked at him and held him up? Confessed with our mouth that he is um, that he is Lord. Church, I encourage you, if you haven't done that, now's a great time to do that for the first time. And talk, please, if that's something you're interested in more detail, and talk to Louis and myself. But it's also, it's not a one-off thing. It's something that we can all do again and again and again and keep looking to Jesus, the tabernacle 2.0, the God-man, God dwelling with us so that we can see and understand and God's spirit now working us so that one day we'll go to the tabernacle 4.0 and live with God. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I've, that's our, that's the end of the first section of the sermon. Sorry, that's a pretty long first section, but that is the conclusion of uh, Exodus up to chapter 40. Um it's, uh, yeah, it's been awesome to look at that for 18 weeks. It's been awesome uh, to see God's character through that, to see how, um, to see how just uh, long-suffering he is, how merciful he is with people. It's been a real standout to me to kind of see that God in the Old Testament is a God of grace and love too. But I want to create some time now. Um, I've spent a fair bit of time talking. I want to create some time for all of us to do some talking and in reflecting on the book of Exodus. 
what have been some standouts for you guys? Um, what are some thoughts that you may have had for the first time? What are some things about God you may have learned for the first time? Um, what are some questions that you might have after 18 weeks in Exodus? Um, I'd like, I, I just want to create some space, maybe 15 minutes or so for everyone to share and us to be encouraged by hearing from other voices other than mine. Um, and so I might just pray, pray now um, to kind of close this section. I think we're going to play a song for a couple of minutes, give ourselves a couple of minutes to reflect on that. But then I'd love to, after that song, invite, uh, really treat, treat it as a big gospel community. We're asking the question, what stood out to you? Um, and I would love to just kind of share and be encouraged by people sharing. Um, so I'll just pray and then we'll go to, a, um, go to the song that Lou will play for us. Thanks, God. Thanks, God, for this text. Thanks for um, such a visual kind of picture in the tabernacle um, of how you dwell with your people. Thanks how what we see here is a pointer to Jesus. Um, thanks how it's Jesus that does the work that creates a new way for us to relate to you. And thanks that you would come and live in us and put the spirit, your spirit in us as a seal so that one day when you come back, that we will go and live with you forever. God, I pray that you'd help us to respond to that, for us to change the way that we live, um, for us to, um, yeah, for that to transform how we how we think about who we are and you are and how we relate to each other. Thanks, God, for the amazing book of Exodus and all the things that we can learn about you through it. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.